Well, hey, I'd like to welcome you to worship today at Calvary, wherever you might be worshiping from, whether you're at our Minnetonka campus or you're in the chapel this morning, or maybe you're at your cabin or somewhere else in the world. We are so glad that you have joined us today. And we take a moment in all of our worship experiences to give us an opportunity to invest into God's kingdom, to be reminded that everything we have really belongs to him in the first place. And he invites us to live a generous life like he modeled for us. And one of the ways that we can show our generosity is by giving our first fruits, our best portion back to God. And so if you have a gift that you'd like to give Jesus and his mission today, it's super easy to do so. If you're worshiping in person, you can put it in one of the offering boxes on the way out of your worship space, or you can always go to calvary.org slash give and give there. We're so thankful for the amazing generosity in this congregation and for your partnership in the gospel. So a number of years ago, right after I began working here at Calvary, I was on my way to church from my house and I was merging onto Highway 55 and I saw there was only one car in the distance, so I started to merge and I didn't realize that this one car that was coming was going like 95 miles an hour. Now, he could have gotten into the left lane and just gone around me, but instead he chose to come up right onto my tail and to follow super closely and aggressively. Could tell that he was not happy at all. Well, eventually he decided to pass me, but before doing so, he came up right next to me in the lane next to me and looked over with an angry look and he, he told me I was number one, if you get what I was saying. And then he zoomed on and as he did so, I had to check out the back of his car. You know, I figured there, there'd have to be some great bumper sticker, maybe one of those Yosemite Sam uh, bumper stickers that says back off or something like that. But what I saw is, probably what you guessed. I saw a Jesus fish on the back of his car. You know, kind of ironic, right? And you know, the moral of the story is I don't have a Jesus fish on the back of my car because of that. No, that's actually not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is when we claim to be something or we claim to believe something, well, then people are going to watch carefully to see if we actually live it out. They want to see if our actions are consistent with our claims. You know, just like a fruit tree is known by its fruit, so are we as people. What you produce in and through your life sends a message to the people around you. And people especially notice when what you say and what you do don't match up. Because it's really easy to say you believe something or to say you value something. But when you do, then people are going to watch closely. You know, just because you go to church, just because you say you believe in God, just because you even carry a Bible with you, doesn't necessarily make you a follower of Jesus. You know, when the word Christian was first used in the first century, it really wasn't about a person's beliefs. It was more about a person's actions. Christian wasn't even really a religious term originally. It was more of a political label. It described people who were living in the Roman Empire, but 
had allegiance to Jesus instead of an allegiance to Caesar or to another king or another ruler. You know, no one at that time in history would ask someone if they were a Christian, you know, like a box that you could check on a form. No, instead, Christian was something that you were accused of being. And it was because of how you chose to live. And it was living differently than the rest of the culture. It was evident to everyone around them simply because of the choices they made, simply because of the way they treated others. You know, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus summed it up saying, you know, that a person who hears his words and then puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Kind of in the same way, James, who was the younger brother of Jesus, he said, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Now, these kind of thoughts and these verses can sometimes make those of us who have grown up Lutheran a little bit nervous, right? You know, because we talk a lot about how you can't earn salvation, that you can't earn anything by your works, that we are saved by grace through our faith. And all of that is true. But there's also another spiritual truth that is so important to remember. And that's this, the faith in our hearts is evident in the fruit of our lives. The faith that's in our hearts is evident in the fruit of our lives. Meaning genuine faith is not just claimed, it's actually lived out and it's visible to others. What we ultimately place our faith in shines through in how we live our lives. You know, when we put our faith in the government or we put our faith in our country or we put our faith in our bank account or investments, when we put our, our faith in our position or our image, well then that really determines the fruit that will be produced in our lives. So in his letter to the Galatians, the apostle Paul gives us a list of attributes that should be descriptive of us. Those of us who consider ourselves Christ followers. And this is to be true of us if the Holy Spirit is living in us and working in us. And so this is what Paul has to say in Galatians 5, starting with verse 22. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. You see, the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence within us when we put our faith in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is there to lead us and to guide us and to teach us and to empower us so that we can become more and more like Jesus. And when the fruit of the Holy Spirit is being produced in our lives, this list of things that Paul has given us, well then we are living up to our fullest potential. 
You know, a believer's life should be producing good fruit, no exceptions. And if we look around and, and those, those things that Paul brings up are not characteristics that we see in our life, they're not the fruit that we're bearing, well then we need to question whether our faith is in Jesus at all. We need to question, are we really connected to him like we had hoped? Now Paul purposefully uses this image of fruit because fruit has to be grown. It can't just instantly be created. It's developed and not made. Growing fruit takes time. It's a very gradual process. And it's the same thing with the fruit of the spirit. They're things that grow gradually in our lives. And it's also important to understand that this isn't about, you know, just some traits or some characteristics that we can pick up along the way. No, this is about a much deeper and more intentional and internal process. You know, apples on an apple tree don't make it alive. You know, if that was true, you could just tie some apples to a dead tree and it would be alive. Well, obviously that doesn't work. Apples don't give life, but they are a sign when a tree is alive. The fruit is a product and a result of being connected to a branch, which is then connected to a root system. Well, then finally, the growth of the fruit in our lives should also be symmetrical. All of the fruits of the spirit should be growing together. You know, it's not that we get to pick three or four of our favorite things from Paul's list, you know, to say, you know, I want to be kind and I want to be gentle, but, you know, I'm not so sure about that self-control thing. No, all of the fruits of the spirit should be growing up within us together if we're connected to Jesus. Now, Paul begins his list of the fruit of the spirit by talking about love. And I think he chooses love on purpose because love is really at the core of all of the nine fruits of the spirit. And also I think love is maybe the most misunderstood out of the entire list. You know, today I think the word love gets overused, it gets watered down in so many ways. I mean, think about how in one day we might say, I love my car. And we might say, I love ice cream. And we might say, I love cheeseburgers. But then we might also say, I love my wife. You know, it's probably why love can often be misunderstood and misunder misinterpreted. And it can be hard to really understand what it really means. Now in Greek, there are actually eight different words for love eight different types of love. And the Bible uses seven of them. But here Paul uses what's called agape love. Agape love is reserved for the most valuable type of love, the most selfless kind of love. It's, it's a love that gives 100% with no strings attached. It means to serve another person for their own good and because of their own intrinsic value, not because of what they can give us back, 
You know, the opposite of agape love is treating someone with love simply because of what they can give in return, how we can somehow score some points or gain some more cred in the world. Now, Jesus made it very clear what this is supposed to look like and really what's ultimately at stake. In John chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, which was a revolutionary thing, and then he tells them to go and serve others, just like he's done for them. And then they share their last Passover meal together, and we call it the Last Supper. But then Jesus says something unbelievable and something hugely important. In verses 34 and 35 of John 13, he says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You see, this is what our life is supposed to look like. Now, there are 613 different commandments listed in the Old Testament, and now Jesus says just this one command will sum up and will fulfill all of those other commandments. Instead of trying to focus on all those things, just do this one thing, and it'll take care of all of the rest. This should be your main focus. This is the kind of fruit that our life should produce. He says, love each other, not like someone else has loved you, not like your grandma, not like your parents or maybe your spouse. No, he says, love each other as I have loved you. And this is gonna get even more clear and defined for the disciples because in just a few hours, Jesus is about to be nailed to the cross because of his love for us. But then he says something even more incredible. He says, how we love each other will prove to the world that we are his disciples. He doesn't say it's how you vote. He doesn't say it's how well you argue. He doesn't say it's how well you debate. He doesn't say it's your theology or your end times view. No, he says, it's our love that will most effectively prove to the world that we are followers of Jesus. Now, a couple important things about the agape love that Jesus is calling us to live out in our lives. First, it's a command, not a suggestion. You know, sometimes people think, well, you know, our world is in a crazy place today and desperate times call for desperate measures. So, you know, we're gonna go and just be as coarse and even as mean as we need to to confront this culture. But you know what? That's not an option, according to Jesus. Our primary lens to filter all of our words and all of our actions through is love. Jesus says, if you follow this one command, it takes care of all of the rest. 
Well, number two, love is an action. It's something we do, not just something we say. Love is active, not passive. It's something that can be seen and experienced by others. 1 John 3.18 puts it this way. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. And then number three, love is a commitment. I mean, this is something I focus on with every couple I work with in pre-marriage counseling. We talk about how love is a commitment. It's a daily choice that you can't just rely on your feelings. You know, even though almost every movie and television show says differently, you don't just fall into love. No, you have to make a conscious choice to love each and every day. Now that goes for marriage, it goes for friendships, it goes for every interaction that we have. And again, of course, Jesus provides the perfect example of a committed kind of love. You know, if we're honest, we have to acknowledge how unlovable we are from day to day. But yet Jesus chose to love us all the way to the cross. That's how committed he was. And so we have control who we will love and who we won't. Jesus, though, teaches us to love the unlovable and to love the unlikable. People who don't dress like us, people who don't live like us, people who have other values and beliefs than we do, people who don't vote like we do. And you know what? When we do this, and when we do this well, Jesus says, then everyone will know that you are my followers. So we might question then, well, how, how can we love with this kind of agape love? Well, I think first, we need to receive and experience God's love for us. The apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. See, when we understand and we experience God's love and grace for us, it changes us. God's love doesn't depend on our behavior. It doesn't depend on how well we follow a set of rules. No, his love for us is unconditional. And his love keeps us connected to him and keeps us rooted in him. A few weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus said he is the true vine and we are the branches. We're supposed to remain connected to him so that we can bear good fruits. And remember, what you're connected to determines what kind of fruit you produce in your life. 
Again, it's another spiritual truth. What you're connected to determines what kind of fruit you produce in your life. Now, this is not something we can do under our own power. The best thing we can do is to stay rooted in God's love, stay connected to him, let him work in and through us and help us grow over time. So there's really, I think, one key question that needs to be ever present in our mindset if we wanna live out these words of Jesus. It's one key question that I want you to take away today and it's this, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? See, asking that question costs Jesus his life. And he says to us, come follow me and go do the same. Give yourself away for the sake of others. Keep on asking this question in every circumstance. Now, the thing is, most often, we're gonna know the answer already. But then, the most important thing is, are we gonna follow through? Are we gonna actually take action? Now, imagine for a moment, if this was the primary question that we were asking every day in our marriage, if we were to say, what does love require of me? Not how can I get my own way or how can I do the minimum amount of work or how can I be more comfortable? No, what does love require of me? How about when it comes to our kids or our parents, our friendships and our community? What does love require of me? How about when someone says something that greatly offends us? How about when we're getting ready to tell someone what we really think on social media? How about when someone belongs to an opposing political party from our own preferred party? What does love require of me? It's that question that should help us determine our next steps should help us filter our words and our actions. Now in the early church, there was a place called Galatia. It's in modern day Turkey. And there were lots and lots of disagreements going on about what it meant to follow Jesus and whether or not you had to follow the Old Testament laws. Well, the apostle Paul stepped right into the fray and he said this in Galatians 5, 6. He said, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Look at the only thing that counts. There's all of these other pages of scripture. There are all of these other biblical stories. There's all kinds of different things that you might be able to do with your life. But he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Love is the very best way to show our faith. It's easy to claim to have faith. It's simple to check a box that says Christian, but is your faith expressing itself in love? 
Now at Calvary, our, our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We love to say following Jesus is a growing experience. But I think it's important every once in a while to, to take an inventory, to, to question ourselves. Are we growing in our faith and our relationship with Jesus? And I think one of the questions we can be asking is, is our faith expressing itself in love right now? It's a great question about spiritual growth. Well, you know, in the first century, this incredibly diverse and random collection of people came together and changed the world. Now, Jesus' disciples, just the 12, were this incredibly diverse group politically. I mean, some of them would have been Fox News viewers. Some of them would have been MSNBC viewers and everywhere in between. And yet they were able to change the world because they took Jesus' words to heart. Jesus told them and he told us, if you forget everything else I have to say, if you don't remember any of my other lessons, any of my parables, if there's no more Bible study fellowship to attend, if there's no more podcasts to listen to, if there's no more apps to download on your phone about the Bible, just love one another because that is how people will know that you are really my followers. So church, let me ask you, imagine if the one thing the people in our community noticed and knew about us was how well we show love to each other, but also how well we love those who have no connection to us at all. What if people would say, I don't believe what they believe. I don't wanna worship the way that they worship, but I really, really hope my son or my daughter marries one of them. I really hope that I can hire one of them because they are such great coworkers. I really, really hope that a Christian moves in next door because they make the best neighbors. What if the world was envious about the way that we treated each other and treated others. Here's what it really comes down to, church. Your devotion to God is best demonstrated through loving others. Your spirituality is determined how, by how well you love others, not how much you know. And you will experience the most growth when you lose yourself in loving others. Remember, Jesus said you will find your life when you lose it for the sake of others. When you're not sure what to say, when you don't know how to respond, when you're tempted to spout off, remember the question, what does love require of me? Now, the apostle Paul wrote another letter to another dysfunctional church in a place called Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 13, which is often called the love chapter, he starts out by saying this. He said, if I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith 
that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Now think about what Paul is saying here. He's saying without love, there is nothing we can say, there's nothing we can know, there's nothing we can believe, and there's nothing we can give that will matter at all. That's how important love is. So church, lean in to God's amazing love. Let it overwhelm you, let it change you. And then all of these other fruits of the spirit that we're gonna be talking about in the weeks ahead will flow from this love. So keep on asking that question, what does love require of me? For God, it required his only son. Now can you imagine what would happen if we loved like Christ loved us? Because really that's how Christianity has survived throughout history. And you know what? It can happen again today through us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your love and for your grace. We know that we don't deserve it. We know every day we do things that are unlovable and unlikable, and yet you choose to love us. And you showed it through sending your son, Jesus. And so God, help us to grow in love for others. God, we ask your Holy Spirit to continue to empower us and teach us to be more loving. God, help us in every interaction to keep asking ourselves, what does love require in this situation, in this relationship, in this circumstance? God, help others around us to know that we are your followers simply because of how well we love. And so God, we ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus and let's all say together, amen.